What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 187 of the VK Bros with Jason and Alex Von Cannell. We are going to be having a shorter, sharper, more concise show for you this week because uh, Alex has somewhere to be and I ran late at work. How are you going today, Al? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I, um, uh, I've rejigged my thing, so hopefully all the sound's okay, hopefully the angle's okay, because I've got my simulator rig set up now to use in the metaverse. Nice. Not really the metaverse, but uh, a set of course of VR, and it's amazing. It is so good. The elements of racing that you lose in 2D are fixed with VR goggles. Yeah. So if, for example, when you're racing side by side with someone, you need to give them space, but in a 2D screen where you only see in front of you, you don't know if there's someone next to you. Yeah, that's right. Also, correct drive craft is that when you actually look into a corner, you're actually looking through the corner mm -hmm. and basically looking at the exit of the corner, which you can't do in 2D. Yeah. yeah. So it's epic. I love it. Cool. And shout out to Meta. Three hours on a charge. like So it, it's it's not tethered to, the, to any power source. It's mm -hmm. just a battery. And I've got three hours of hardcore racing before I needed to connect it. Didn't shut off, just I needed to connect it up three hours of play. Nice, yeah. well, it's official. Alex is on the meta pay roll. Um, so for this week, guys, to make sure you wanna actually hang around, we're gonna be covering a couple of major things. Now, the number one thing we're covering this week is a story of the week, which is the Queensland Supreme Court ruling on vaccine mandates for police and Queensland ambulance service workers. The other thing that we will be doing is there's a, a, another story that is sort of linked to that, which we're going to cover as well. And then Alex is going to round us out with Crypto Corner. So if you are keen on Crypto Corner, we've had a lot of good feedback about Crypto Corner, yeah. particularly people going, where's Crypto Corner from last week? Yeah. Um, so if you are keen, hang around for that. But let's start first with the big news this week. The Red Pillars have had a win in Queensland as the Supreme Court has ruled that the vaccine mandates for police and paramedics uh, was ruled invalid. So Alex had just brought up this post from Sibley Lawyers. Uh, Sibley Lawyers were, were the firm that were actually handling this case for, for the applicants. So it says, Today marks a special moment in history. Justice Martin delivered judgment that Direction 12 and Direction 14 issued by the Commissioner of Police, or COP, in 2021, Miss Katarina Carroll, were unlawful as they failed to properly consider human rights. We are very pleased with this outcome. Many who, for various reasons, did not or could not comply with those directions have been suspended without pay for over two years. Many have been dismissed from the service. Some have sustained permanent injuries as a result of having the vaccine under the duress of an unlawful direction. The decision is important in the protection of human rights. It affirms that a vaccine mandate cannot be imposed on a whim or, as is the case for the COP, relying it seems on others telling you that it is a good idea. Whilst the decision did not affirm that the limit on the human right not to be subjected to a medical procedure without fully informed consent was not unreasonable. Can you scroll down a little bit? That's the part I struggle with to understand that part. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go into it. I'll just finish this bit. Um, it said it did, it did find that a person directed to get a vaccine or face termination is unable to give fully informed consent. They are by the nature of the direction coerced. Ultimately, the reason for the finding was that the COP failed to consider human rights and thus it was unlawful. The COP is restrained from taking any action against the 54 applicants, Justice Martin said, while it would be unusual for such action to be taken on the basis of an alleged breach of direction found to have been made unlawfully, that remains a possibility and the appropriate way of proceeding is to make an order protecting those members from disciplinary action. Clearly such a restraint is needed given the terminations that have occurred of police who have done nothing wrong other than maintain their bodily autonomy. So just to try to explain this, um, I actually, there was a really good rundown. I saw Discernible posted it on his Instagram. I'll just try to bring that up. But the, whilst this is a little win, it's not, it's not the big win that you would like. But mm. I also don't think that we will be getting to that big win for a long time. It's going to take case after case after case. And every single time you have a little win, it sets something, some other precedent on the record that the next subsequent cases can build upon. Yeah. So he, he did this explainer because he actually did a podcast this week with a lawyer from South Australia who has litigated a lot of these cases as well. So he did get some, um, some professional feedback on it. Also, for any of you who don't know, uh, Matt Wong, who runs Discernible, he actually used to be in the healthcare industry. He used to run um, chemists. And so it has a lot to do with 
uh, the sort of biopharmaceutical space. Mm-hmm. So he put a post up, says, explain if a Queensland Supreme Court finding mandates are unlawful. Main takeaways, both the Queensland Police Service mandate and the Queensland Health Ambulance Service mandate have been found to be unlawful, but not invalid. Injunctions have been granted to restraint, yet we already know that, so they can't take any action against the, the complaints. And it, not to say that that won't happen. Exactly. Like, I mean, just because laws are put in place doesn't mean that these people have been willing to follow those laws, and as we've already and, seen. It's as simple as they'll just get you for something else. That's right. They'll sack you for something else. Yeah, yeah. Detailed takeaways. Justice Glenn Martin AM ultimately found that the Queensland Police Commissioner Katarina Carroll made unlawful mandates because she failed to give proper consideration to human rights as is required by 58 1B of Queensland's Human Rights Act 2019. Specifically at 324, which is just a reference, he rejected the Commissioner's argument that her mandate did not forcibly compel a person to be vaccinated and found that it did indeed contravene um, S17C of the HRA, which is the um, Human Rights Act. 17. Protection from torture and cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment. A person must not be, uh, subsection C, subjected to medical or scientific experimentation or treatment without the person's full, free and informed consent. Note, this is the only, this is what I found interesting. This is the only human right that was found to be abridged. All others, such as political belief, conscience, religious belief, privacy, right to life, etc., were not limited by mandates. Throughout his judgment, he castigated the commissioner and her deputy commissioner. At reference 135, called her evidence inconclusive and unreliable. At 127, did not consider the human rights ramifications. At 120, there was no evidence from the commissioner as to the evidence upon which she relied. At number 114, regarding police officers had increased risk of contracting or transmitting the uh, COVID. There was no evidence to support that statement. At 104, called her a liar and noted the impossibility of her testimony because of timestamps. I find that the commissioner is mistaken in her recollection, was a direct quote. Uh, at one fifteen, addressed claims police relied on modelling for their mandate, but it was nothing of the sort. As to the Queensland Ambulance Service and their mandate made by Queensland Health, the judge found that the mandate implemented via their HR policy is of no effect because it was based on a briefing note with scant evidence. He called out their poor use of scientific studies at 259 and 262, and could not be considered a term of employment um, as Dr. Wakefield tried to argue on multiple grounds. So discernible's takeaway from it, we have just witnessed the decisions of a high level organizational leader scrutinized and found faulty. It's a warning to any business owners or leaders that their actions can and will be reviewed. Considering as well the um, South Australian decision, it is not a plausible defense to say, but there was a government mandate that made me do it because responsibility on the decision maker cannot be alienated. The court through the Queensland case declined to make any obiter on the science or on the ethics of reasonableness of mandates. Instead, they punished the decision makers for their irresponsibility. So here's, that's a lot of information to go through. Here's my key thoughts on this subject. The number one thing that we are still seeing through all of these cases being litigated through court is that there is not one judge who is educated enough or even willing to, at this stage, uh, take into consideration the ineffectiveness of the vaccines to prevent infection in any of their judgments. That's still yet to come. We spoke about this. Yes. We spoke, we spoke that because it was after the very first court case that was there that basically said, I'm not a scientist, therefore don't push that science uh, narrative. Yeah. And then all the subsequent court cases have just gone... Like to try and find another another angle. Exactly, and so that, but it's coming. It is coming though. One hundred percent, and that's the key as to why that was the only human right that was um, that was breached in all of this. I mean, there is a stage. really easy way. There is an easy way to fight it. Show us the health advice. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, there is none. Oh, okay. So it was based off of. I mean, you don't need. I mean, in that that's the same deal. You don't need to know science to realize if the basis to put these illegal things in place was based on nothing yeah then you know that's your case that's right and and so this is the thing so the discernible uh podcast i listened to was very interesting because it explained a few things that make a lot of sense number one um that these judges aren't not only aren't litigating on the efficacy of the vaccine at all but most of these judges are older they're actually in the higher risk groups when it comes mm. to covid infection 
So what he has explained is in a lot of these cases that he's been litigating over the last two years in South Australia, um, there has been a definite bias for the, the majority of these judges against anti-vaxxers because it's like they have this feeling that anti-vaxxers are putting them at risk. And so that's been a big issue. But... Mm. But that is that was not the case in this Queensland Supreme Court case, and what I think you will see over time is eventually where it's going to end up, and this is going to take years to get to this point. Where it's going to end up is this: um, the only reason why we said that only one human right was violated was because we were still operating on the basis that you getting the vaccine would stop you contracting COVID and would stop you giving it from someone uh, to someone else. Therefore, it was reasonable to expect someone who worked in a high-risk setting, like a healthcare mm-hmm. setting, to be vaccinated so that they wouldn't be putting patients at risk. Mm-hmm. When the science gets to a point, or I guess the, the, the lawyers get to the point where they catch up to the science and are actually able to litigate the fact that the vaccine uh, never stopped you from uh, contracting the disease, well, then it brings out the next part, which is the fact that uh, preventing symptomatic infection of SARS-CoV-2 was the uh, the entire basis on which those vaccines were approved in the first place through the provisional pathway. So if you can prove beyond reasonable doubt that they knew at the time of the mandates that the vaccine was not going to stop you from getting infected or from transmitting the disease, which they did know, because remember, most of these mandates, um, at least away from the healthcare setting, but police and teachers and wider-reaching mandates only came in about November 2021. So we had already seen breakthrough cases. Not only that, we knew because it didn't, it, it didn't say it on the box that it would reduce the spread. It didn't say that. All it said was reduce symptomatic... Uh, Sy- no, no, symptomatic infection. Symptomatic infection and reduced hospitalization. Well, they extra the the powers that be, the politicians, the health bureaucrats. They extrapolated out from the um, Pfizer phase three trial result, where they said ninety five percent reduction in symptomatic, ninety five percent effective at preventing symptomatic infection of SARS CoV two. So they extrapolated that out by going, if you can't get infected, then that means you can't infect mm. anyone else. Sort of like what Rachel Maddow said about how you know, well, if you get vaccinated, the virus stops with you. Now, I went back to have a look at when we had spoken about this. Yep. And I stopped when I found us talking about the teachers, the te- well, after the teacher mandate. Right. Uh, that was episode 108, which was on August 29th, 2022. Yep. And where we had said that it's, if you're a small business, you're crazy if you go in off your own bat. Yep and put a vaccine mandate on your staff. Because this is a perfect case where, uh, quick side note, not every state has a Human Rights Act, Mm -hmm. which I found interesting. So Mm -hmm. New South Wales doesn't have one. Um, But Queensland does. If you... This has shown that a government agency... Because remember when I told you the story that I knew what the private school's... Uh, directions were compared mm-hmm. to a public school. The yeah. private school at the time had gone and sought legal advice, and you could tell the words are very. We can't ask you what your That's right. thing is, but we are hoping that you do this by this date. Can you give us a notification that you have done this thing? But we can't ask you. My my wife... whereas private well, pr- a public school was you've got till this date to yeah. show us your vaccine status or you're out because you're a government employee. That's right. Yeah. So teachers will be next. Well, this is the thing. So there's going to be so much more that builds on top of this because as we've stated many times before, like the first people that are really going to go down in all of these cases are going to be the small business owners. At the end of the day, anyone suing the government, the government does not care. The majority of the decision makers that made these decisions have already resigned. So there's no one else standing there that's going to be left holding the bag because they're just going to be like, oh, that was my predecessor. It had nothing to do with me. Yeah, Yeah, look, look how bad they got it wrong. And plus, all the litigation and all of the compensation will just be paid out of taxpayer dollars anyway. So they don't give a shit. The first people that are going to get wiped out are small businesses who did mandate this for for their staff. And it's going to be very, very simple, which would basically be you are in no way qualified enough 
to have been able to um, ascertain whether or not this was going to be safe and effective for your staff before Stop tapping the desk. Sorry, before you mandated it for your staff. And yeah. then the second thing is going to be, like, I think you mentioned this on the show a few weeks ago, not one of these businesses is going to have a documented risk assessment of imposing a vaccine mandate. And not even one. if you did, even if you did, it can't be based off any real science because there was none. That's right. So That's how right. do you know? Yeah. So but this is, again, what's going to build on top of all of this stuff is... And, and they, they, the lawyer explained it really well on Decinimal's podcast, where he, he basically said, what all the government's trying to do right now is keep pushing through with litigation and litigating every single little case. Because what the risk always is for someone who is trying to sue the government for anything is that if you lose that case, you have to pay the government's costs as well. Mm. And that's usually what wipes out a lot of these court cases. And... The government will just be banking on the fact that their war chest of money is so much larger than whoever it is trying to take them, take them down. As, as, as long as the government has one or two even minor wins in court and has to get the cost paid, that creates that chilling element where other people don't want to take the risk. But you know who funded this one? Clive Palmer. Clive Palmer, the a- billionaire mining magnate and UAP, ex-UAP leader, Clive Palmer. Exactly. He paid for it and he said, I'm happy to pay for more. Yeah, and this is what I was, I was having a conversation about this during the week. And those are the people that you need on your side to be able to litigate these things. Because everyone knows Clive Palmer loves suing the government. It's one of his yeah. favourite things to do. He's very, very good at it too. <laughs> He's good at it. He's been very successful in the past. So He was probably the reason why McGowan's gone. Oh, I, he's more, prob- so, more so than the... Because the, they love him about the COVID stuff. I don't, I don't think he's the reason McGowan's gone. I think McGowan left of his own accord because he would have been briefed on the numbers of excess deaths in his state pre-COVID, post-vaccine rollout, and gone, uh-oh, I've made a massive mistake because I was the one out on the TV every single day saying we're not reopening the state until everyone is triple-dosed vaccinated. Yeah. So hey, I reckon- funny little anecdote. Think back, think back, and I could pull the clip up if you wanted, but think back to the height of... The no, 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 separate, separate, separate. Okay. Think back to the pandemonium. Remember the Bunnings lady. Remember the lady that went into Bunnings because, and was asked to wear a mask, and she filmed it and was being like absolutely belligerent in saying, you are breaking the human rights charter by forcing me to do it. No, we've been doing it. She was right. Yeah. We made her out to be an absolute kook. She was right. She was right. That's now, right. might not be about masks, who knows, but probably, you know, and a lot of people said and defended at the time and said, a private business can do whatever they want. But she kept on saying, no, you're discriminating. That's right. Yeah. A so, private uh, business cannot just do whatever they want. Like, they yeah. still have to follow the laws. That's the dumb thing about whenever a politician comes out and goes, we need to create new laws around... Um, oh censoring David, dangerous speech online because these companies don't follow the rules and blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. There are laws already in every jurisdiction in which they trade in that they, they have to follow those laws. Your only concern with it is that those laws don't allow them to censor the content you don't like. Dude, I cringe so hard whenever I hear, there needs to be a new law for this. Like, no. No, no. we don't need any more laws. If yeah. anything, we need less laws. Absolutely. Less regulation. Like our mate Javier Millet brought into Argentina, and that's why they have reported their first surplus in 12 years after he's only been oh, in the for 12 weeks. Yeah. So, look, this, this is obviously a big story. It's big news. Um... It is the first building block on which the rest of these lawsuits are going to uh, be building from. Uh, the guy, that the lawyer that I was listening to, had a really interesting idea because obviously the concern is the funding of all of these things. And he was even considering trying to do some sort of uh, crowdfunding subscription model where any of us maybe concerned citizens could literally just set up like a $10 a month subscription to go towards these cases so they'd have the war chest behind them to just keep litigating these cases until Ooh. they eventually get to where they need to be. I personally, I would do that. I would absolutely do that. Because for me, this has nothing to do with COVID anymore. It is everything to do with holding authoritarian, overreaching tyrants to account because if you don't, they will do this again. 
Yeah, so I had someone reach out to me and say, yeah, but the problem is like we're just going to end up paying and it's all tax money anyway. And I, 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 I had to tell him, fuck that dude. Like these mm-hmm. people, these people, like for a start, all of it was taxpayers' money. That's all right. the, the shutdown did far more damage. Look at look at Victoria having to trying to get three hundred and fifty million dollars back in tax money yeah. over the next ten years. Is that the land taxes? There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For their fund. Oh, plus plus other taxes. The land taxes is the big one. Yeah. Um, you can't. That's the cop out way to think about it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it goes to exactly what you said. We need and look, no one's going to get hurt. So so as in as in no one's going to lose their job. People will step down and they'll get given sweetheart jobs. So don't think that you're going to get the real justice, but at least a precedent will be set. And as long as people like us keep talking about it, the next time they try to pull some bullshit like this on us, we can say, fuck you. Remember when this happened and it turned out later that you guys were wrong? Fuck you. We're not doing it. And in the meantime, we will get valuable reform which is probably going to bring us through to our next subject, which is linked to this, which is this uh, story on the MHRA out of the UK. So the MHRA is essentially the UK's virgin, 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 version of the TGA or the Therapeutics, uh, Therapeutic Goods... What is that? Therapeutic Goods... Hi? Jeez. Friday afternoon after... Therapeutic the, Goods. Goods Administration. I've been cooking myself in the sun all day, so that's why I'm in the singlet, because I'm way too hot as well. But, so this story just came out on the 19th of February 2024. UK medicines regulator, a serious risk to patient safety. Let me just repeat those words again. UK medicines regulator is a serious risk to patient safety. The All-Party Parliamentary Group, APPG, on pandemic response and recovery has raised serious patient safety concerns about the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, or MHRA, along with other aspects of a system that, in quotes, far from protecting patients, continues to put them at serious risk, end quote. In a letter to Health Secretary Steve Brine, APPG co-chairs Esther McVeigh and Graham Stringer with 26 co-signatories highlighted the Independent Medicines and Medical Devices Safety Investigation of Primadose, Sodium Valparate and Pelvic Mesh Scandals, which found the response of the healthcare system was not sufficiently robust, speedy or appropriate, causing some patients to suffer life-changing or fatal, avoidable harm. MHRA at the tip of a sizable iceberg of failure. Subsequent evidence leads us to believe that patient uh, that, that serious patient safety concerns persist beyond even the findings of the IMMDS review, the APB, uh, APPG signatories wrote. The MHRA is at the heart of these far wider endemic failings, and those cited in this letter merely represent the tip of the sizable iceberg of failure. Medscape News UK has reported increasing concern worldwide about the degree to which medicines regulators are captured by the drug industry, something that we have spoken about a lot over the last 12 months on this podcast. A 2022 BMJ investigation that we also covered found serious conflicts of interest potentially influencing health policy and approval decisions. Regulatory agency members and expert advisors had financial interest in products being licensed, including several experts on COVID-19 vaccine advisory committees with financial ties to vaccine manufacturers that regulators did not always disclose. And neither did ours. Don't forget, 50% of ours chose not to disclose whether they had financial interests. Correct. Notorious revolt. So what's that answer, Jason? What's that answer? If you if you don't want to say, would you say I had no? Would you keep that hidden if you didn't have a financial interest? I would because I'd be so embarrassed that all of my other mates on the board have gotten rich over these drugs that we just banged through, and I was the only one who was still poor because I didn't oh, cash like in on it. Zangief, Zangief from the uh, Street Fighter movie. You guys got you- paid. Yeah. <laughs> There's an old '90s reference. For yeah. <laughs> Aging ourselves again. Yeah, follow us on Rumble. Uh, speaking of the TGA, notorious revolving door arrangements mean many officials move between regulatory agencies and the companies they regulate. For example, a former MHRA chief executive arrived from SmithKline Beecham and left to serve on the board of a biotech company and advise the Gates Foundation, which has major interest in vaccine and vaccines and partly funds the MHRA. And just on that note, uh, old Billy Gates is back on the vaccine path yep. hard even though he distanced himself after this this one made his money sold, sold his stock, stock. Yep. now he's 
he's balls deep. He's right back in it. So wait, wait for a massive ramp up, and it will be it'll be mRNA for sure. A prime example of institutional corruption. One expert cited in the BMJ described the situation as exactly what I just said. In 2020 to 2021, 98.5% of applications for new medicines approvals yielded positive decisions. So it means they approved 98.5% of the drugs that were thrown in front of them. Interesting note on that, and I just want to make this brief point. I, like most of you listening to this, pre-pandemic, thought that the Therapeutic Goods Administration did its own testing of drugs before licensing, mm. licensing for sale in Australia. That is incorrect. All they do is they assess the data that is handed to them by the sponsor, which is the drug company manufacturing and wanting to sell the drug. That's literally all they do. And they take massive licensing fees from them at the same time. So don't forget uh, the TGA, 96% funded by industry. And let's not forget, this is not a TGA thing, but this is another thing. So we have laws about, uh, what is it, DNA affecting materials here in Australia? Mm. A GMO, genetically, yeah. modified, genetically organisms. modified organisms. Yep. But not if we import it. That's right. In this particular <laughs> case, anyway, that we got caught yeah, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, the APPG drew attention to MHRA Chief Executive Dame June Rain's statement in March 22 that the agency had transitioned from watchdog to enabler. Enabler of what, the letter asked, saying the statement does, n- does little to quell suspicions of conflicts and the implications for patient safety cannot be overlooked. Drugs passed through expedited approval processes, such as the provisional approval pathway that John Skerritt set up in the TGA in Australia, by which we approve the COVID vaccines, and which what it got him a job to do that again. Yeah. But for industry. Exactly. Uh, so drugs passed through expedited approval processes, 36% in the UK in 2020, are more likely to be withdrawn for safety reasons, carry a subsequent black box warning, or have dosage forms voluntarily discontinued by the manufacturer. Why do you think that drugs that are pr- approved through expedited processes are more likely to be withdrawn for safety reasons, Alex? Uh, is it because it's like that remember that guy in the UK the security guard that was supposed to be Pat searching all the people coming into the and, and he just went and he wouldn't touch the bodies like, you're, you're, <laughs> was that in what, the height of me too <laughs> yeah that's what our, our regulators do they don't look at it and just go yeah that's good yeah, yeah that's good yeah that's good Uh, Moreover, the APPG said that the yellow card scheme, which was their vaccine adverse event reporting system, uh, was failing patients with gross underreporting of suspected adverse drug reactions. Only 1 in 12 patients is aware of it, and up to 98% of reactions go unreported. The MHRA has no effective processes to monitor, investigate, or follow up reports, and complaint systems are too complex and too diffuse to allow early signal detection. So that's the same story you're seeing in the TGA, the FDA, all these medical regulators all over the world. And the main reason why they don't have these processes uh, in place is because they don't want them. Because all those processes will do was hold these drugs to a higher safety standard and get more pulled off the shelves. I listened to Lex Friedman and Bill Ackman. Bill Ackman is a hedge fund manager, billionaire, and something that he said that really stuck with me, and we have said, uh, like we've spoken about it before, but he really dials in, which is look at the incentives. What is the incentive? So in this case, and same with the TGA, there is no metric for outcomes. Hmm. We don't even know if the things work. The only metric here that we've got is if there's some damage, but 98% goes unreported. So we don't even know what the outcome of the thing is, right? Literally not even built into that system. So the, the incentive is approval, and the reason why you can tell the incentive is approval is because it's paid by the sponsor. That's right. The sponsor is only going to pay if they know they're going to get a financial return. Exactly. There's, the whole system is corrupt. It should never, ever be put together this way. 
Yep. It's crazy. And that is the exact reason why everyone wonders why things like natural plant medicines are never supported by scientific studies or evidence or uh, any of these regulatory bodies. And the whole reason is that they li literally, their only job is to take money to assess the paperwork handed to them by a sponsor. So if it's a naturally occurring plant, for example, there's no company that's patenting that that's going to be able to make money out of it to bring these uh, applications to the regulators. So they're yeah. not interested. And that's how they like the system set up because that means it removes those alternatives from the marketplace. So the only people who can sell their stuff are the high-profit pharmaceutical companies that pay their bills for them. I think the TGA should be completely disbanded, get erased. There is zero point in having... Nah, I, d I disagree. I think the TGA needs to have its own labs over in Australia. It needs to actively be testing drugs. Then start a new one. Yeah. If, if the system... like. That this is a cancer. This system For is sure. a cancer. Yeah, yeah. And you're course. you're never going to be able to oh, oh, like redirect that. Yeah. It's doomed. Fire every single person in it. Dismantle it. Oh, totally. And rebuild a new one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm I'm happy to keep it as the TGA. I but you do need to absolutely clean house. I reckon you need to pay the people who are on these boards massive amounts of money, so there is less likelihood. Look, number one, you get the highest possible expertise, but number two, there's also less likelihood of them being corrupted because if you're broke on one of these boards and a pharmaceutical company comes to you and goes hey I'll give you a couple of million bucks just got to keep your mouth shut you're more likely to be corrupted by that but you've also got to have way stricter penalties for anyone who is caught with any of these conflicts of interest as well uh, so the MHRA's lack of transparency and conflicts of interest did not fulfill its statutory duty to protect patient safety or maintain public trust, the letter said. The system is beset by conflicts and often too late in detecting and acting to prevent serious harms. Hence the AstraZeneca uh, coronavirus vaccine was suspended in other countries on the 11th of March 2021, but the MHRA did not publish safety advice until 7th of April, after 24 million people had been vaccinated in the UK. Without MHRA's pharmacovigilance system detecting a problem, MHRA withdrew the product for under-40s only on the 7th of May after further needless deaths. And again, similar story here in Australia, if you guys remember back, we reported on the show when like countries like Denmark had removed these vac those AstraZeneca vaccines and our government was still out there telling people to take it. And it was about, like, was it a week or two later that they pulled it? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, this part gets interesting too. Pa prioritise patient safety over commercial interests. The letter urged the Health and Social Care Select Committee to launch a thorough, wide-ranging and long-overdue investigation into the MHRA. It advocated mandatory reporting of industry payments with a dedicated register of conflicts of interest, echoing a current parliamentary, pe uh, parliamentary petition asking legislators to make the MHRA fully transparent to ensure patient safety is prioritised over commercial interests. Kim, did any of you guys know that all of these medical regulators all over the world are not required to disclose their financial conflicts of interest? Did any of you know that? I, I didn't know, but I'm not surprised. I absolutely didn't know. I thought everything was above board, but no, this, this is the same story all over the world. Dr. Margaret McCartney, an honorary senior lecturer in medicine at the University of St. Andrews and senior associate at the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine at University of Oxford, told Medscape News UK, It's clear from decades of research that conflicts of interest, especially financial, are associated with poor quality and more expensive healthcare. We need transparency. Such conflicts should not be hidden from patients or other professionals where decisions could be affected. However, she cautioned, Merely asking people to declare their interests doesn't take away the conflict. There is a <laughs> risk that by creating registers or declarations, an assumption is made that the risk has been managed, but that isn't the case. Transparency is only a first step. Asked by Medscape News UK to comment, MHRA Chief Executive Dr. June Rain said, we have made significant steps to put patients at the heart of all of our work. <laughs> so oh, like that. We're so, oh, yeah, we should look at that. <laughs> we, should, we should think about patients for once. So that statement says... Patients were not at the heart of our work. We have taken steps towards rectifying that. Well, I'm I'm looking back even at the TGA. What does TGA stand for? Therapeutic Goods Administration. So what does that possibly say about health regulation? Not a whole lot. It literally says they administer therapeutic goods. Think about they any... are they are a marketplace. Yeah. Think about any business you work in. And it's got like the people who work in admin. 
How important are those people? <laughs> Not usually that important. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does it says nothing about like, you know, uh Like therapy. we're dumb for thinking. We're dumb for thinking that they were there to help True. us. True. Yeah, it's a good point. It's sort of been hiding in plain sight, hasn't it? Yeah. Um uh, yeah, so I'll just give you that quote again because I think it's hilarious. We have made significant steps to put patients at the heart of all of our work. These And the problem is when they get to the heart, they'll realise it's full of my car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> These include incorporating patient views and lived experience into our safety reviews. So that's just another... That's a tip of the hat to the trans community because we want to do more trans surgeries. Yeah. Involving patients in the early stages of planning medicine's development and building a new responsive reporting system for patients to tell us about any adverse incidents. We have also led on legislative changes to strengthen surveillance for medical devices and medicines, meaning patient safety is embedded firmly into law, which it always should have been. Uh, our progress so far in making changes based on meaningful patient involvement gives us a solid base to build upon as we continue on this important journey. <laughs> this is just such wank speak, isn't it? Yeah. We committed to enabling innovation that brings transformative medical products safely to patients. Uh, I feel like when they, even though that's in quotes, I feel like if when when they were to interview people, they would say it in quotes as well. Yeah, that's right. They're so like, they don't Ooh. have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's wild, guys. Like, and and this is the sort of stuff that I believe is going to come out, building upon the case we just spoke about with the Supreme Court. Because you're going to get to a point where they'll have to drill down far enough to go, okay, does the vaccine actually stop transmission, which is the basis for mandates? No, it doesn't. So how do these things get approved in the first place? Because you, you have, you're going to have to follow the liability yeah. uh, you know, plot points, right? So that's going to be a, a step in the plot point. How do these things get approved if they didn't even meet the primary endpoint of the approval process? Okay, look, now I've got all these conflicts of interest. Look, John Skerritt got given a brown paper bag full of money. Like, that stuff's all going to come out. It might be 10 years from now. Like, don't expect it tomorrow. It's not happening overnight. Yeah. But yeah. we need to keep talking about it. As I predicted, five years. Five years from the end. Five years from the end of the mandates is when I think it really kicks off. Yeah. And, and that, that metric I grabbed from, that's what happened with the war in Afghanistan. Yeah, and also the um, Russian collusion hoax too. Yeah. Which they're also yeah. starting to bring back now as well. I feel like I'm back yeah. in 2015. All right. Uh, did you have any more more comments no. on that story? No. All right, let's move to Crypto Corner. Crypto Corner. First of all, uh, you're welcome to anyone that listened to anything that I've said for the last uh, for the last fucking who knows how long, ever since the start of the uh, podcast. Yep. Um, Bitcoin is currently sitting at... $61,200. That's US, just for anyone That's US playing at home. Dollars, has a market value of over a trillion dollars uh, and literally hit 98000 Australian dollars. Yeah, currently sitting at $94,000 Australian with a $1.85 trillion Australian dollar market cap. Now, I will say, I this is where I did all my buying, was here. Mm-hmm. Your son, your son's portfolio, who he owns some $13,000 Bitcoin, mm. is currently worth $2,200 for 700 and something bucks in. Yeah. yeah. So he's killing the game. Yeah. He's killing that. If you're backwards on Bitcoin right now, you done fucked up. <laughs> okay. But I want, I, I, I definitely need to draw people's attention to. Uh, I just had it up to the fear and greed index. Yeah. Okay, so the the thing this is when everyone feels good when they when they swipe you swipe your um you know your crypto wallet and your net worth jumps up a, a large amount. Yep, and you get that really nice warm fuzzy feeling. Look at this fear and greed has jumped from seventy nine to eighty in a day. Right, mm -hmm. uh, people are getting greedy. People are getting excited. There's a lot more money entering the market now mm -hmm. and this always happens and this is where people get burnt uh i full credit i'm not buying any bitcoin right now none none mm -hmm. it is too hot for me right now to buy it i want to buy it when no one's talking about it the fact that they're starting to talk about it on tv again i ain't buying yep okay i need to see some more fear in the market because they're, they're setting up the dump aren't they yeah so i 
Okay, so a lot of this is people ask me, why is the price going so high? It could be these ETFs. For those that don't know, Wall Street is now allowed to buy Bitcoin. And ETFs are usually by old school investors who just want to set and forget. I'll put 100 bucks a week and I have an ETF, you have an ETF. We just put money in it and whatever the price is, it doesn't matter. They just buy, they just buy, they just buy, they just buy. Billions of dollars a day are going into Bitcoin right now just through ETFs. Yeah. Now, they can't sell those unless all the customers want to sell. That's right. But what would actually happen is if, let's say, one person wanted to sell, they would just match it with someone else that's buying and therefore the underlying asset, being Bitcoin in this case, doesn't move. Yeah, yeah. Okay? However, which means that should protect us from a dump. Except if you take into consideration what happened at the very start of the ETF approval, Mm -hmm. which was the day it was approved, somehow a couple of these large firms all of a sudden started selling Bitcoin. Yeah. The Bitcoin they weren't supposed to have. Now, they weren't supposed to have it. They, they Legally, they couldn't have it with customer money, but there's nothing stopping them from buying it with their own cash flow. That's right. So this could be happening right now. And it's a twofold thing. This is what I think. I think they are not only buying it with customer money, but they're also buying their own stuff. Mm-hmm. It's pumped the price huge. They can go and say to all their ETF clients, look at this awesome return that we've made you. You're onto the right thing. And then all these other ETF clients are like, oh, I want this. I want a piece of this. I want a piece of this. Literally today, the boss of Vanguard was fired. Well, he's stepping down. Vanguard said, we will never offer a Bitcoin ETF. Wow. Okay. And now all these guys are making billions of dollars and have putting billions of dollars through their system. So maybe that was a catalyst to say, well, see you later, we need someone. So if Vanguard starts introducing a Bitcoin ETF, a spot ETF, you'll mm. know that's what it was for. Yeah. Okay, yeah. why he was still down. Now, what I think could happen, this is potential, not financial advice. What what could happen is they have been using their own earnings to buy as well. The Black Rocks, the, um, uh, uh, um, can't think of the other one. State Street. State Street, some big guys, right, in that space. And then when they when they decide to turn the tap off, they just go and sell. Now, the, some of these guys will have made 30% uh, profit in days. Yeah. What a return, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the ETF purchasers probably don't care because they're just going to keep buying these ETFs and they get to, they get to own more Bitcoin when the, when the price drops, mm-hmm. right? Because they're 50 bucks that they put in this week will buy 30% more Bitcoin next week. Here's the, the the concern I have about a lot of this stuff. Number one, with the Bitcoin ETFs, it's a strange thing because you're not... The, the, if you're buying into the ETF, you're not actually buying Bitcoin. You're buying essentially like a stock marker based on profitability out of Bitcoin. Yes. Which leads me to believe two things. Number one, this could all just be a massive uh, deep state institutionalized plot. No, I know where you're going. No, because we can see the purchases on chain. Yeah. So we know that the purchases are happening in Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah I understand that. But the, yeah. the, the company owns the Bitcoin. When you, when you invest in a Bitcoin ETF... You're investing fiat money. You're not actually buying bitcoins through the ETF. You're investing in like an ETF stock marker, right? Yeah, the client's not owning the the bitcoin. Exactly. Yes. So the institution is. So yes. what I what I'm saying is that have have the bankers because let's let's not forget the whole world's run by the central bankers. That's yep. what causes all these issues. Is the central bankers have they finally realised that their propaganda war against bitcoin has failed? And that it could actually become a decentralized alternative to the monetary system that they can't control. So the best way to control it is just buy it all and hold it. They so yes, they could do that, but they're going to burn so much money. I don't think it's in their best interest to do it. So for example, if if BlackRock goes and buys all of it, yep, it's worthless. Exactly. Yep, but they've spent the money. Doesn't matter. They've got how much money have they got? 
if you're if you're talking about removing the only threat to a centralized banking system in the world it's worth the investment yeah it, look it, 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 that is a possibility but they're not getting mine no but also it's like you know if you remove enough of it from the marketplace then it's not going to be viable enough to actually use it as a currency anyway so that um, was that yeah. was one concern my second concern would be that if they can because it, like you said they're taking all their customers money to buy bitcoin which they're then stockpiling they're also going to be using their own profit margins to buy bitcoin to stockpile if they can build up a significant enough of them and then we know that all these guys are going to collude together anyway so they're all going to dump it on the market at the same time if they because if the etfs are reliant on them turning a profit from bitcoin the only way that you can turn a profit is by selling it and it's at the top yeah and then buying um, back in We've got to move. We've got to move. We've got to right. Move. So right. just, just quickly, here's the this is the stock to flow model that I've been using. I basically buy anything under the line. Now we're over the line, so I'm out. Okay. But Crypto Corner was about altcoins. So alt season tends to happen after the Bitcoin run. So Bitcoin goes up, people yep. sell profits, and then they filter into the other coins, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where the real gains are made for the individual. There are people that have made a thousand times returns in altcoins, yeah. right? Um, Bitcoin's not going to 10x in in this year, right? No. It might double, 2x, you're not going to get 10x. You're not going to get, definitely not going to get 100x. Yeah. Now, here's a coin that I'm looking at. Uh, it's this one. So this is Texas HODL. I've been talking a lot about this. Um, here is a, our recent... Um, uh, I guess addition development addition yep which is the text token so this has not launched yet this is coming now uh, we'll put the link we'll add the link to the show notes so you can come and have a look uh, at this um, join the evolution of online poker with text now I won't go through the whole document but basically there is going to be a token sale uh, of a text token where you can purchase a part of the system and the funds used will be uh, the funds will be the funds raised will be used to build a staking protocol so that you can get paid on the percentage of the pool that you have from that business mm -hmm. so picture it like you being able to buy a a, uh, a share in Star Casino. So you owned a couple of the bricks mm -hmm. in Star Casino and whatever the revenue was, whatever the profit was, you got paid a percentage. You got paid for one brick's worth ongoing in perpetuity. Yeah. This is going to have massive earning potential. Um, we've done some calculations uh, of what of what kind of uh, like if this if this app or when this app gets sort of 5,000 daily active players don't forget there's 100 million online poker players if it gets 5,000 players a day or two and a, it's actually 5,000 player hours so if that's two and a half thousand players playing for an two hours mm -hmm. that's the same spending on average $40 you would make a hundred and twenty percent of what you invested if you got in at the first drop, which is at one one US cent mm -hmm. in the phase one drop. There's only a hundred and fifty million tokens. There's a billion tokens in supply for the total supply. A hundred and fifty million of them are going to be sold in the first drop. You're probably only going to have access to hundred and thirty of them because twenty million are going to be used for airdrops, um, whether that be referral or um, or like if someone has done some work for the network, they might get rewarded in text tokens. Mm -hmm. And then your next chance is going to be when the phase two drops, and that's probably going to be sort of three months, four months after the completion of phase one. 250 million tokens are going to be offered at what's called market value or fair market value because people are going to go put these on decentralized exchanges mm -hmm. and and going to trade in them. Yep. So that could be, they could be two cents by then, they could be five cents by then, who knows? You know, who knows what, I mean, Dogecoin went up 36%. What's Dogecoin today? 
it's freaking it's like 90 cents or something insane and that serves no purpose yeah this is a a it's a meme coin this is a utility token and the utility token means that once once this other system is built you're going to be able to stake it and people don't know what staking is it's like a term deposit so when you think a term deposit with the bank you you give them your money and you they lock it so it's still guaranteed back to you but they use it for stuff so that's what's going to that's that's what's happening in this staking protocol um and then in phase three uh as shown here on the screen but again we'll put the link there if you want to go have a look at it phase three there will be a hundred million on offer but more than likely this is going to be on centralized exchanges like binance like coinspot like right because you got to have some volume and a lot of players a lot of buzz talking about this token and then who knows what the price is going to be after that point that's right so to paint a little bit of a picture if you bought them at one cent and they go to five cents you five x your money yeah so if you if you put a thousand in you get five thousand now okay great return um if you want to stick with it long term the whole idea of this roadmap and you can again you can read it all here the idea of this is to stick with the system plug your your text tokens back into the system to get rewarded in bitcoin every day Mm -hmm. and you get to grow with that system so hopefully you play the game you bring some people on uh, on board and every time you do that you get a direct reward in the system Mm. it's beautiful it's coming it's not built yet uh the um the token's not built yet but what you can do in it like to prepare for this go set up your your crypto account Mm -hmm. go and buy some bitcoins some ethereum whatever whatever you're you're yet because you'll have to buy these in crypto you can't buy them in cash you you have to buy them in crypto have an understanding and reach out to someone that knows how to buy something in crypto not a lot of people know actually how the wallet system works mm-hmm. and um, there'll be I'll release some more information as it becomes available on this but that's the, that's the one I'm looking at and it's there's definitely some more inside information on this that, that, that's not uh, readily available out there it's exclusive you're hearing about it here this is the one that I'm looking at cool all right. Uh, anything else to add? Because I know you got to go. I got to go. Awesome. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. We will see you next week. See ya. <laughs>